Chapter Twenty Nine of The Bent Twig by Dorothy Canfield. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Twenty Nine A Hypothetical Livelihood. The millionaire proprietor had asked them all over to the Austin farm, and as they drew near the end of the very expensive and delicately served meal, which Page had spoken of as a picnic lunch, various plans for the disposition of the afternoon were suggested. These suggestions were prefaced by the frank statement of the owner of the place that whatever else the others did, it was his own intention to take Miss Marshall through a part of his pine plantations and explain his recent forestry operations to her. The assumption that Miss Marshall would of course be interested in his pine plantations and lumbering operations struck nobody but Miss Marshall as queer. With the most hearty and simple unconsciousness, they unanimously felt that, of course, Miss Marshall would be interested in the pine plantations and the lumbering operations of any man who was worth nobody knew how many millions in coal, and who was so obviously interested in her. Sylvia had been for some weeks observing the life about her with very much disillusioned eyes, and she now labeled the feeling on the part of her friends with great accuracy, saying to herself cynically, if it were prize guinea pigs or collecting beer steins, they would all be just as sure that I would jump up and say, oh yes, do show me, Mr. Page. Following this moody reflection, she immediately jumped up and said enthusiastically, oh yes, do show me, Mr. Page. The brilliance in her eyes during these weeks came partly from a relieved sense of escape from a humiliating position, and partly from an amusement at the quality of human nature, which was as dubiously enjoyable as the grim amusement of biting on a sore tooth. She now took her place by the side of their host, and thought, looking at his outdoor aspect, that her guess at what to wear had been better than Aunt Victoria's or Molly's. For the question of what to wear had been a burning one. Pressure had been put on her to don just a lacy garden-party toilette of lawn and net, as now automatically barred both Aunt Victoria and Molly from the proposed expedition to the woods. Nobody had had the least idea what was to be the color of the entertainment offered them, for the great significance of the affair was that it was the first time that Page had ever invited anyone to the spot for which he evidently felt such an unaccountable affection. Aunt Victoria had explained to Sylvia, it's always at the big Page estate in Lenox that he entertains, or rather that he gets his mother to do the absolutely indispensable entertaining for him. Morrison said laughingly, isn't it the very quintessence of quaintness to visit him there? to watch his detached, whimsical air of not being in the least a part of all the magnificence which bears his name. He insists, you know, that he doesn't begin to know his way around that huge house. It was his father who built the Lennox place, commented Mrs. Marshall Smith. It suited his taste to perfection. Austin seems to have a sort of Marie Antoinette reaction towards a somewhat painfully achieved simplicity. He's not the man to take any sort of pose. If he were, 
it would be impossible not to suspect him of a little pose in his fondness for going back to his farmer great-grandfather's setting guided by this conversation and by shrewd observations of her own sylvia had insisted even to the point of strenuousness upon wearing to the first housewarming a cloth skirt and coat tempering the severity of this costume with a sufficiently feminine and beruffled blouse of silk as their car had swung up before the plain square big-chimneyed old house and page had come to meet them dressed in khaki-colored forester's garb with putties aunt victoria had been generous enough to admit by an eye-flash to sylvia that the girl knew her business very well there was not of course sylvia reflected the slightest pretense of obscurity between them as to what under the circumstances her business was all this lay back of the fact that as sylvia her face bright with spontaneous interest in pine plantations and lumbering operations stepped to the side of the man in puttees her costume exactly suited his own from the midst of a daring and extremely becoming arrangement of black and white striped chiffon and emerald green velvet molly's beautiful face smiled on them approvingly for various reasons the spectacle afforded her as much pleasure as it did extreme discomfort to her grandfather and with her usual masterful grasp on a situation she began to arrange matters so that the investigation of pine plantations and lumber operations should be conducted and tete-a-tete mrs marshall smith you're going to stay here of course to look at austin's lovely view think of his having hidden that view away from us all till now i want to go through the house later on and without austin so i can linger and pry if i like i want to look at every single thing it's lovely the completest yankee setting it looks as though we all ought to have on clean gingham aprons and wear steel-rimmed spectacles no austin don't frown i don't mean that for a knock i love it honestly i do i always thought i'd like to wear clean gingham aprons myself the only things that are out of keeping are those shelves and shelves and shelves of solemn books with such terrible titles that's a fact page said morrison laughing molly's hit the nail squarely your modern economic spasms over the organization of industrialism are out of place in that delightful eighteenth-century plain old interior they threw their fits over theology the owner of the house nodded yes you do know your period a great-great-grandfather of mine a ministerial person had left a lot of books on the nature of the trinity and free will and such they had to be moved up to the attic to make room for mine what books will be on those shelves a hundred years from now i wonder treatises on psychic analysis on how to transfer thought without words unless i read the signs of the times wrong morrison hazarded a guess molly was bored by this talk and anxious to get the walkers off you'd better be starting if you're going far up on the mountain austin we have to be back for a tea at mrs neville's where sylvia's to pour mrs neville would have a thing or two to say to us if we made her lose her main drawing-card 
are you coming morrison asked page no he isn't said molly decidedly he's going to stay to play to me on that delicious tin-panny old harpsichordy thing in your best room you do call it the best room don't you they always do in new england dialect stories grandfather you have your cards with you haven't you you always have if you'll get them out felix and arnold and i'll play whist with you only one of those thus laid hold of slipped out from her strong little fingers arnold raised himself joint by joint from his chair and announced that he was a perfect nuthead when it came to whist and anyhow he went on insistently raising his voice as molly began to order him back into the ranks and anyhow i don't want to play whist and i do want to see what page has been up to all this time he's kept so dark about his goings-on over here no molly you needn't waste any more perfectly good language on me you can boss everybody else if you like but i'm the original hairy wild man who gets what he wants he strolled off across the old-fashioned garden and out of the gate with the other two his attention given as usual to lighting a cigarette it was an undertaking of some difficulty on that day of stiff september wind which blew sylvia's hair about her ears in bright dancing flutters they were no more than out of earshot of the group left on the porch than sylvia as so often happened in her growing acquaintanceship with page found herself obliged entirely to reconstruct an impression of him it was with anything but a rich man's arrogant certainty of her interests that he said very simply as he said everything i appreciate very much miss marshall your being willing to come along and see all this it's a part of your general kindness to everybody i hope it won't bore you to extremity i'm so heart and soul in it myself i shan't know when to stop talking about it in fact i shan't want to stop even if i know i should i've never said much about it to anyone before and i very much want your opinion on it sylvia felt a decent pinch of shame and her eyes were not brilliant with sardonic irony but rather dimmed with self-distrust as she answered with a wholesome effort for honesty i really don't know a single thing about forestry mr page you'll have to start in at the very beginning and explain everything i hope i've sense enough to take an intelligent interest very different this from the meretricious sparkle of her oh yes do show me mr page she felt that to be rather cheap as she remembered it she wondered if he had seen its significance had seen through her from a three weeks intensive acquaintance with him she rather thought he had his eyes were clear formidably so he put her on her mettle arnold had lighted his cigarette by this time offered one to page with his incurable incapacity to remember that not every sane man smokes and on being refused put his hands deep in his pockets the three tall young people were making short work of the stretch of sunny windy upland pasture and were already almost in the edge of the woods which covered the slope of the mountain above them up to the very crest jewel green against the great piled cumulus clouds well i will begin at the beginning then said page i'll begin 
back in 1762, when this valley was settled and my ever-so-many greats-grandfather took possession of a big slice of this side of Hemlock Mountain, with the sole idea that trees were men's enemies. The American colonists thought of forests, you know, as places for Indians to lurk, spots that couldn't be used for corn, gross to be exterminated as fast as possible. They entered the woods now, walking at a good pace up the steeply rising grass-grown wood road. Sylvia quite consciously summoned all her powers of attention and concentration for the hour before her, determined to make a good impression to counteract whatever too great insight her host might have shown in the matter of her first interest. She bent her fine brows with the attention she had so often summoned to face a difficult final examination, to read at the correct tempo a complicated piece of music, to grasp the essentials of a new subject. Her trained interest in understanding things, which of late had been feeding on rather moldy scraps of clinical psychology, seized with energy and delight on a change of diet. She not only tried to be interested, very shortly she was interested, absorbed, intent. What Page had to say fascinated her. She even forgot who he was, and that he was immensely rich. Though this forgetfulness was only momentary, it was an unspeakable relief and refreshment to her. She listened intently. At times she asked a pertinent question. As she walked, she gave the man an occasional direct survey, as impersonal as though he were a book from which she was reading and exactly as an intelligent reader in a first perusal of a new subject snatches the heart out of paragraph after paragraph ignoring the details until later she took to herself only the gist of her host's recital yes yes she saw perfectly the generations of vermont farmers who had hated trees because they meant the wilderness and whose destruction of forests was only limited by the puniness of the forces they matched against the great wooded slopes of the mountains they preempted, and she saw later the long years of utter neglect of those hacked-at and half-destroyed forests, while Page's grandfather and father descended on the city and on financial operations with the fierce, fresh energy of a frontiersman. She was struck by the fact that those ruthless victors of Wall Street had not sold the hundreds of worthless acres which they never took the trouble to visit, and by the still more significant fact that as the older ones of the family died, the Austins, the Pages, the Wolsons, the Hawkers, and as a legacy after legacy of more worthless mountain acres came by inheritance to the financiers, whose tracts, too, were never sold. They never thought of them, Page told her, except grumblingly, to pay the taxes on them. They considered them of ridiculously minute proportions compared to their own titanic manipulations, but they had never sold them. Sylvia saw them vividly, those self-made exiles from the mountains, and felt in them some unacknowledged loyalty to the soil, the barren soil which had borne them, some inarticulate affection which had lived through the heat and rage of their embattled lives the taproot had been too deep for them to break off and now from it 
there was springing up this unexpected stem the sole survivor of their race who turned away from what had been the flaming breath of life in their brazen nostrils back to the green fragrance of their mutilated and forgotten forests not the least of the charm of this conception for sylvia came from the fact that she quarried it out for herself from the bare narration presented to her that she read it not at all in the words but in the voice the face the manner of the raconteur she was amused she was touched she was impressed by his studiously matter-of-fact version of his enterprise he put forward with the shy prudish shamefacedness of the new englander the sound financial basis of his undertaking as its main claim on his interest as its main value i heard so much about forestry being nothing but a rich man's plaything he said i just got my back up and wanted to see if it couldn't be made a paying thing and i've proved it can be i've had the closest account kept of income and outgo and so far from being a drain on a man to reforest his woodland and administer it as he should there's an actual profit in it enough to make a business of it enough to occupy a man for his lifetime and his son after him if he gives it his personal care at this plain statement of a comprehensible fact arnold's inattention gave place to a momentary interest is there he asked with surprise how much well said page my system as i've gradually worked it out is to clear off a certain amount each year of our mediocre woodland such as for the most part grows up where the bad cutting was done a couple of generations ago maple and oak and beech it is mostly with little stands of white birch where fires have been i worked it up in my own sawmill so as to sell as little of a raw product as possible and dispose of it to the wood-working factories in the region sylvia remembered the great brushback factory whence molly had recruited her firefighters then i replant that area to white pine that's the best tree for this valley i put about a thousand trees to the acre or if there seems to be a good prospect of natural reproduction i try for that there's a region over there about a hundred acres he waved his hand to the north of them that's thick with seedling ash i'm leaving that alone but for the most part white pines are best lay pine thrives on soil that stunts oak and twists beech our oak isn't good quality and maple is such an interminably slow grower in about twenty years from planting you can make your first boxboard cutting of pine and every ten years thereafter arnold had received this avalanche of figures and species with an astonished blink and now protested energetically that he had had not the slightest intention of precipitating any such flood great scott page catch your breath if you're talking to me you'll have to use english anyhow i've no more idea what you're talking about who do you take me for i don't know an ash tree from an ash cart you started in to tell me what the profit of the thing is page looked pained but patient like a reasonable man who knows his hobby is 
running away with him, but who cannot bring himself to use the curb. Oh, yes, he said apologetically. Why, we cleared last year, exclusive of the farm, which yields a fair profit. We cleared about two thousand dollars. Arnold seemed to regard the statement as quite the most ridiculous mouse which ever issued from a mountain. He burst into an open laugh. <laughs> Almost enough to buy you a new car a year, isn't it? he commented. Page looked extremely nettled. An annoyed flush showed through the tan of his clear skin. He was evidently very touchy about his pet lumbering operations. A great many American families consider that a sufficient income, he said stiffly. Sylvia had another inspiration, such as had been the genesis of her present walking costume. You're too silly, Arnold. The important thing isn't what the proportion with Mr. Page's own income is. What he was trying to do, and what he has done, only you don't know enough to see it, is to prove that sane forestry is possible for forest owners of small means. I know, if you don't, that two thousand is plenty to live on. My father's salary is only twenty-four hundred now, and we were all brought up when it was two thousand. She had had an intuitive certainty that this frank revelation would please Page, and she was rewarded by an openly ardent flash from his clear eyes. There was in his look at her an element of enchanted, relieved recognition, as though he had nodded and said, Oh, you are my kind of woman, after all. I was right about you. Arnold showed by a lifted eyebrow that he was conscious of being put down, but he survived the process with his usual negligent obliviousness of reproof. Well, if two thousand a year produced Judith, go ahead, Page, and my blessing on you. He added in a half-apology for his offensive laughter. It just tickled me to hear a man who owns most of several counties of coal mines so set up over finding a nickel on the street. Page had regained his geniality. Well, Smith, maybe I needn't have jumped so when you stepped on my toe. But it's my pet toe, you see. You're quite right. I'm everlastingly set up over my nickel. But it's not because I found it. It's because I earned it. It happens to be the only nickel I ever earned. It's natural I should want it treated with respect. Arnold did not trouble to make any sense out of this remark, and Sylvia was thinking bitterly to herself. But that's pure bluff. I'm not his kind of woman. I'm Felix Morrison's kind. No comment, therefore, was made on the quaintness of the rich man's interest in earning capacity. They were now in one of the recent pine plantations, treading a wood road open to the sky, running between acres and acres of thrifty young pines. Page's eyes glistened with affection as he looked at them, and with the unwearied zest of the enthusiast, he continued expanding on his theme. Sylvia knew the main outline of her new subject now, felt that she had walked all around it, and was agreeably surprised at her sympathy with it. She continued with a genuine curiosity to extract more details, and like any man who talks of a process which he knows thoroughly, Page was wholly at the mercy of a sympathetic listener. His tongue tripped itself in his readiness to answer, to expound, 
to tell his experiences, to pour out a confidently accurate and precise flood of information. Sylvie began to take a playful interest in trying to find a weak place in his armor, to ask a question he could not answer. But he knew all the answers. He knew the relative weight per cubic foot of oak and pine and maple. He knew the railroad rates per ton on carload lots. He knew why it is cheaper in the long run to set transplants in sod land instead of seeding it. He knew what percent to write off for damage done by the pine weevil. He reveled in complicated statistics as to the actual cost per thousand for chopping, skidding, drawing, sawing logs. He laughed at Sylvia's attempts to best him, and in return beat about her ears with statistics for timber cruising, explained the variations of the Vermont and the Scribner's decimal log rule, and recited log-scaling tables as fluently as the multiplication table. They were in the midst of this lively give-and-take, listened to with a mild amusement on Arnold's part when they emerged on a lookout ledge of gray slate and were struck into silence by the grave loveliness of the immense prospect below them and of course murmured page finally on another note of course it's rather a satisfaction to feel that you are making wasteland of use to the world and helping to protect the living waters of all that he waved his hand over the noble expanse of sunlit valley. It seems. He drew a long breath. It seems something quite worth doing. Sylvia was moved to a disinterested admiration for him, and it was a not unworthy motive which kept her from looking up to meet his eyes on her. She felt a petulant distaste for the calculating speculations which filled the minds of all her world about his intentions towards her. He was really too fine for that. At least she owed it to her own dignity not to abuse this moment of fine, impersonal emotion, to advance another step into intimacy with him. But as she stood, looking fixedly down at the valley, she was quite aware that a sympathetic silence and a thoughtful pose might make, on the whole, an impression quite as favorable as the most successfully managed meeting of eyes. End of chapter 29